Hello, friends, and welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Church at Grove Farm. We are thrilled to be a part of your spiritual journey and look forward to helping you discover God's plan for your life. To find more messages like this, be sure to subscribe to our YouTube channel and our podcast feeds. To stay connected with us, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter under the handle CCGF01, and check out our website, ccgf.org, for all of this information and more. Now, here is this week's message, Grace and Peace to you. Good morning, everyone. I want to uh, point a couple things out to you before we go into the message today. The first thing I want to point out is Operation Christmas Child. We had, get this, over 725 boxes come in at Christ Church at Grove Farm. Take that, COVID. That's more than last year. So pretty awesome that we did that, even in the midst of the pandemic. Great job. Just so grateful for your generosity. Uh, Speaking of generosity, we have the trucks, as Gideon mentioned to us, coming on Tuesday, which we're really excited about. The way God has brought this together has been amazing. Really grateful for Pastor Mike Davis and all his efforts. Pastor Mike told me today that um, we have have double the volunteers that we need to sign up. I love that we're a church that's eager to serve, that we say we want to be the kind of church that puts our name out there, and, and we go and serve the community. So really excited about the things that God is doing in us and through us. We have a lot to be thankful for. Let's pray. Lord, we're so grateful for Jesus. And we thank you, Lord, um, that through him, there is strength that goes beyond human means. And we thank you, Lord, that strength is, is reflected in our giving of the shoeboxes and, and giving of ourselves to help get this food in the, into the, the hands of those who need it. And I pray, Lord, that we would have powerful times here, not only on these Tuesdays and on these Sundays, but all the time, Lord, through our church, that you'd be working through us in a way that glorifies your name and exalts your gospel. And we thank you, Lord, for this gospel. We pray that it would affect our lives. And as we look at your word this morning, as we consider this text, Lord, from 1 Timothy, I pray that you would challenge us and also renew our minds. Pray this, Lord, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So during this latest coronavirus surge, there's been a, a lot of emphasis and focus on the college population. Uh, 65% of college students have had a COVID test during the fall semester. And of those 65% that have been tested, have come back positive. That is double the national rate outside of college campuses. It's significant. And the thing that the the experts are pointing to as a reason why the cases are so high on college campuses is, you guessed it, the party scene, right? It's, It's parties. There's so many parties happening on college campuses, and of course, that just opens itself up for spreading the virus. And I believe that this reveals um, a philosophy that we as Americans seem to uphold in our culture. And that, that, that value that we uphold is this, that the college years are intended for a person to experiment. The college years are years where, where college students are encouraged to, to let, the, let it fly. Have fun, Right? And the message is this. The message is, have fun, live your life, you do you, 
experiment, go find yourself because why? When you get out of college, life is miserable. <laughs> you're going to get married. You're going to have kids. You're, you're going to have bills to pay. It just all goes downhill. That's really what's inherent in what we're saying. So hey, cultures, we say, go have fun. You go do you. Listen, what, what we reveal in portraying this kind of thing to our college students is that, is that this is the time to enjoy your freedom before you get the ball and chain. So college students, I want to say something to you, whether you're online as a college student or if you're in the room with us. Listen, your best life isn't necessarily right now. There is life abundant for you both now and in the years to come. There's, there's much for you to live for. And these years when you're in college aren't just years to go out and have fun. They're years to invest in your faith, in the kingdom of God, and God's work in you in such a way that you grow up to be someone who lives true life through Christ. Don't believe the lie. If you're in high school, if you're in middle school, listen to this. Listen, you're going to hear these lies, and let me tell you, there's more than just going to be a college student and partying. Those are valuable years. The trajectory of your life can be impacted. God has something for you abundant, not only in college and the years to come. But that's aside from the point. The point about the college thing is this. I think we have the same mentality about our money. You know, this idea of where we're kind of living for the moment, and, and, and seizing the day and making the most of the here and now, I think we approach our finances, we, we approach our money much the same. We say, let me get my grubby hands on as much as I can get them on. Why? Because I want to enjoy everything and I want to enjoy it now. That's how we approach money. Same way we tell college kids. Our money is here for our pleasure. It's meant for us to spend. I mean, hey, everyone, YOLO, right? You only live once. May as well live it up right now. In fact, we believe that if we give our money away, if someone actually asks us to, to be charitable, that we're missing out on something potentially then. We're losing out on our fun. That feels like a drag to us. Why? Because we want to use the money for YOLO. We want to use the money for ourselves. And this mentality is what often leads us to give money and material things a greater place in our lives than they should actually have. Because of this mentality, that it's the college life mentality, it's the, it's the YOLA mentality. We, we, when we believe this, we, we, we end up living a life where we give material things a much greater place than they should have. We believe the lie as a culture. We believe the lie that we can buy our satisfaction. Oh, if I just have more square footage. If I just had a new car instead of the crappy 2008 CRV that makes a noise when the ignition turns on. That's my car. If, if I just had some more money so I can get this gadget, this thing, then I'd be satisfied. We, we bought into this lie. And it's not just people who aren't Christians. If you're not a Christian, it's not like just the people who aren't Christians. Let me tell you, if you're not a Christian, you're listening to us, 
the Christians, I'll speak for them right now, if I may. We struggle with this just as much, if not more, than everyone else. It's a struggle for me. We have this wrestling match, so to speak, with stuff. And we believe that we can buy our satisfaction. So as we come to 1 Timothy today, we're reading from 1 Timothy chapter 6. This is an epistle or a letter credited to Paul, written to Timothy, of course. And as we approach this epistle today, here we go with Paul again. He's bringing up money. And for some of you, like, man, how many weeks is this series? I hope this is the last week you're thinking. Are we done talking about money? Well, the truth of the matter is, money is the greatest threat to God being first in your life. It's the greatest threat, common to people. And so we have to talk about money. The allure of money, the allure of putting it in the wrongful place, putting it first, has a powerful grip on us. And what ends up happening is we get swept into this like vortex. It's a vortex. And really it reflects the the worldly way of thinking about things. It's the pattern of this world. Have you heard that? There's a pattern of this world. And so we need to renew our minds. And so it's important that when we come into a place like this, that we actually do talk about money. We need to engage with God's word and consider the truth of scriptures and where we are. In fact, let me read to you Romans 12, chapter 2. These are familiar words to some of you. Here it says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect world. Listen, the pattern of this world is for me to to put money in a place where it doesn't belong, to put it first instead of God. That's the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to flip out when when the market crashes and and to go crazy and think, what's going to happen? That's the pattern of this world. The pattern of this world is to say, I earned my money. it's, It's all mine. And keep your nose out of it. Right? That's the pattern of this world. And so we need to consider how our minds can be renewed. And today, we're going to look at the scriptures. And we're going to see what the Lord has to say to us through Paul and this letter to Timothy. And so we're going to pick up in 1 Timothy chapter 6. If you have your Bible, you can open it up there. If you're using an iPad or a smartphone, go for it. The YouVersion app is a wonderful way for you to read the Bible. The words will be on the screens as well. Let's look at this passage. There are just three verses we're going to look at today. We're going to spend a bulk of our time in just the first verse. There's so much here. It's so rich. I use that word intentionally. God's word is so rich for us. Go there with me right now. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Let me read this to you. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Let's start first with the very first word here. The very first word that's used in this passage is the word command. And I want to point this out to you. I want to tell you maybe two things about this. First and foremost, there is a, uh, a saying in theological circles that goes like this. 
all scripture is written for us, but not necessarily to us. Let me say it again. All scripture is written for us, but not necessarily to us. Here's what I mean. This letter that I've referenced already, written by Paul to Timothy, it's written to Timothy. There's a historical figure, Timothy, who was the original audience of this letter. And probably his cohorts too, his circle of people. It was written to him. But listen, these scriptures, when it says there's a command here, that doesn't mean we get to ignore it because it was written to Timothy. It is written for us. Does that make sense? I'll take you to Romans 15, chapter 4. This is a good verse to write down. Probably a good one to memorize. If you're into memorizing scripture, this would be a great one to, to have etched on your heart and your mind. Romans 15, 4 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us. You get it? So, so this scripture is for us. So when it says this is a command, this is not something if you're a believer to say, yeah, 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 that's not for me, that's for Timothy. No, it's for us. And the second thing I would share with you is this, you know, um, as a pastor, and by the way, I'm just now surpassing my first year at Christ Church, one year anniversary. I'm really excited about that. I say thanks to God. It's such a great thing to be a part of this church family. And, and, and now that I've been here with the, for a year with you, I hope that as we get to know each other, you, you can sense that I am with you. And I hope that you can sense that I care about this people, this family. And so as a pastor, I have to be faithful to say, okay, if all the scripture is written for us, then I have to command us. I have to command us as we read the scripture and, and say this to us in such a way that's consistent with the original intent of this passage. Are you with me on that? Okay, so command is coming. And, and he goes on to say, he says, command those who are rich in this present world. So if I were to ask the question, say, okay, how many of you consider yourselves to be rich? Show of hands. Not many people would raise their hand because they'd be afraid. They would say, okay, you're buying lunch today, right? <laughs> if, you, if you raise your hand. But the truth of the matter is, and we've talked about this, let me give you another perspective on it. 71% of all humans on this globe live on $10 a day or less. 71% of all people live on $10 or less. In fact, 50% of the world's population lives on $5.50 or less a day. So when we say those who are rich in this present life, even if you feel like your wallet's kind of empty, if it's kind of light, even if you feel like, you know... I'm not really rich, or I'm, I'm, an, I'm a student. I don't have any money. This, this pertains to you, whether it's now or in the future, just by virtue of the fact that you're a, a middle-class American. You see? And so there's this command to those of us who are rich. And rich is a comparative thing. Rich is a relative term. Rich in this present world. And what's the command? Well, right off the bat, it says... The command is to not be arrogant. You know, I think it's interesting. You would think that, that Paul would come out of the gate and he'd be saying, okay, command those who are rich in this present world to give all their money away. That's what you would think the Bible would say, right? To give everything to the poor. But actually, what Paul starts with here is a check of the heart. What he addresses first is the attitude of the heart. And he says, command them not to be arrogant. 
The word arrogant, if you look up the original language in the Greek, it means to be high-minded. To be high-minded. And, and there are two things that I think of when I think about arrogance and, and money. And, and I think that arrogance often happens because wealth tends to bring out our selfishness. I mean, it's no mistake or no accident that the richest people, percentage-wise, give the least. The richest give the least percentage-wise. May give them a, a, more of a, a higher amount, a bigger amount, but actually, those of us who are wealthy, generally speaking, give less. Why? Because we tend to think of ourselves more. The more money you have, the tendency is to think of yourself more. And in most cases, the more money you have, the more you will actually think about yourself. And so this command to those who are rich in this present life to not be arrogant is really important because arrogance is the attitude that robs us of generosity. Arrogance that makes us think about ourselves and causes us to be inward and to think about our own needs. This, this way of thinking highly about ourselves, being high-minded, is actually the attitude that robs us of generosity. I just want to help you real quick on this. Because if, if you find yourself struggling with this, if you find, as I say these words even, if you feel like, yeah, you know, you're right, I do think a lot about myself. And I tend to take care of myself first. I, I tend to, to think about my money in terms of, okay, how, how can I care for me and my own first? And then maybe if I have a little bit left over, I can help other people out. If that's how you are, if you're like me and you struggle with that, well, then consider this. If you're struggling with that kind of arrogance, look at just the two verses before the passage that we're studying right now. 1 Timothy 6, verses 15 and 16. Remember, it's always good to read around the Scripture, the passage that you're reading. And if you read there, there's this description of God. If you're struggling with arrogance, listen, it says, God, the blessed and only ruler, with a capital R, the King of kings, and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light whom no one has seen or can see. There's this description of who God is. And whenever we think too highly of ourselves, may you and I compare ourselves to the light of who God is. How can we think highly of ourselves when we consider who he is? Do you see it? Let's keep on going here. Okay, so the first command to those who are rich in this life is that they would not be arrogant. And then the second one is this, that they would not also put their hope in wealth, that they would not put their hope in wealth. You see, there is this tug of war in our culture, in the church, between God and money. Yeah, on one hand, I want to live for God. I really do. But man, I really want some stuff too. And, and I really have this, this felt need of keeping up with other people around me and seeing all the neat things there are and all the experiences there are and all the places I want to go and eat and all the things I want to have. And constantly there's this struggle of where do I find my satisfaction? There's this tug of war between God and money that is raging in the hearts of all of us. Well, this passage here is talking about where you put your hope. There's this thing called migration of hope. 
You see, there's this tendency, the migration of hope, to put our hope more in stuff than in God. We've talked about this a little bit in this, in this, in this series. That the human tendency, especially in the Western world, is to put our hope in, in, in more than just what, who God is, but in stuff. Hope, by the way, is more than just positive thinking. We tend to use the word hope like we use the word wish. Like, I hope the Steelers win today. By the way, I do. I hope the Steelers win today, right? That's, that's, that's like a wish, but that's not really hope. Here's what hope is. Hope is faith applied to circumstances. Say it again. Hope is faith applied to circumstances. In other words, hope means this. I believe what God says more than what the stock market says. I believe what God says more than what the news outlets say. I believe what God says more than the fear that's so prevalent in our culture says. Hope is, is, is faith applied to your circumstances. But we have this tendency to have hope migrate. And it's a trap. This, this is a warning. What we're reading here is a warning to not fall into the trap of trusting money more than God. What does it say about money and putting your hope in money? It says that money is so uncertain. That wealth is so uncertain. In other words, it's here today, but it could be gone tomorrow. It could be taken away just like that. You ever talk to someone who has that story? They were riding high. They were, they, they were the kings. They were raking it in. And then they lost everything. You ever talk to someone like that? It's uncertain. Wealth can be here today, gone tomorrow. It could change with, with the Wall Street uh, numbers that come out every day with the Dow Jones. Wealth is uncertain. And so there's a trap that we can fall into, and that's putting our hope in money, which is uncertain, rather than in God. Instead, those who are rich ought to place their hope in God. And this takes an intentional process on our part. Whenever we sense that migration of hope, whenever we find ourselves saying, no, I'm looking forward to that vacation. I'm guilty of that one so many times. I'm just looking to that vacation. Whenever I go to that vacation, things are going to be good. Or I wake up in the morning, I'm like, oh, what do I got to look forward to today? We're going out to dinner tonight. And whenever I start to put my hope in little ways and migrate away from God and to put my hope in stuff and money and wealth, that's a reminder for me to renew my mind, to not fall in the trap of falling into the pattern of this world, and to migrate actually back to the Lord, back to God, back to where my hope should be placed. That's, that's what we've got to do. We focus on why God gave us wealth in the first place. I, I love this. At the end of verse 17, it says, command them to not put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. <laughs> Some of you are about to faint because you hear the Bible say the word enjoyment. It's like, does the Bible actually say we should enjoy ourselves? Or do we have to be grim and look like we're having a bad time all the time? You know, we expect the Bible, once again, to say, no, no, give everything away. Right? But in this passage, it's saying this. No, God's actually given you wealth, and he actually wants you to enjoy it. 
So is this YOLO? Is this like the college scene? What is this? Well, I think it might help to have a little bit of a historical perspective on this, okay? So in the times where they were writing, there were some different philosophies that were out there in that day. One of the philosophies was called cynicism, cynics. Now, you're familiar with that word, and you might think, yeah, my uncle's a cynic, or my, my, my dad was a cynic. I'm not talking necessarily about that kind of cynicism. This kind of cynicism was a philosophy. And the philosophy, I have some notes on in here, was one that was in the first century. And honestly, it was a little, it's kind of bizarre. Okay, so this cynicism in the first century, these folks were nonconformist to the point of defying decency. I mean, I'll give you an example. This is kind of like crude, but they would actually relieve themselves in full public view. They were kind of exhibitionists in that sense. In fact, the word cynic comes from a Greek word that means dog-like. Because they, they actually did these kinds of things. They were bizarre people. They had a radically simple lifestyle, the cynics did in the first century. In fact, the classical cynic man was homeless. He was without clothing. They only ate the plainest of foods. They had no luxury in their lives. No vices. No marriage. The only thing they were devoted to, the most pure cynic, was Zeus. Everything else was seen as being unnecessary. Everything else was seen to be as a front, an affront to Zeus and the worship of him. And so there was this prevailing philosophy that, well, maybe we should hate physical things. Maybe, maybe and this starts to bleed into the early church. Maybe we should, we should give up everything. Maybe we should sell everything. Maybe we shouldn't wear clothing like the cynics. On the other hand, you had the hedons. You're familiar with that word, the hedonists. And the hedonists were those, this is kind of like the college crowd, right? The college th philosophy or mentality. We maximize pleasure. Everything is about here and now. Does it taste good? Does it feel good? Does it smell good? Is it sensual? Everything is about the experience I can have right now. So Paul, writing to Timothy, says these really interesting words. He says, listen, God has given you everything for your enjoyment. So the cynics, you say, yeah, we have to, we have to, we have to just cast all this stuff off, and, and we can't enjoy anything of this world. To, to the, 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 the hedonist, who says, no, 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 I'm going to find my pleasure in stuff, in wealth, and things. Paul says, no, there's a third way. And the third way is this. The third way is that you focus on God and why he gave you your wealth anyways for your enjoyment. This is important. So not too long ago, my wife and I went and we had a, a really nice meal. We don't do this very often. It was our 20th anniversary, so we had a really nice meal. And we were at a place that was overlooking the water. Incredible sunset in this particular night. And then we had a, we had a great dinner. I had this great piece of fish and some wonderful sides, and, and Lisa had like these Korean spare ribs. It was a really great meal. We had an awesome dessert. It was, a, it was a wonderful, memorable meal. Now, the cynics would say, or people who think like cynics would say, you shouldn't, you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't spend your money on that. You, you shouldn't show up at that restaurant and order that food. The, 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 the other side of it, of course, are, are those who would subscribe to the, 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 um, the hedonists, and they say, no, no, 
enjoy all of it. Like soak up that, that moment is everything. When you're eating that food, you're drinking that drink, you're eating that dessert, that's, that's everything. Soak that in. That's, what, that's the measure of life. That's what we're here for. And Paul says, no, there's something else. You focus on God in that moment. And why he gave you that meal to enjoy, and you worship him as a result of this. You see, every moment, even your wealth, can be seen as an opportunity to worship God. When I start to see that great meal, it's not just an end to itself. Too often, we terminate our thoughts at the thing. When I see that food is actually something for me to enjoy and to give God glory for and to worship him for the experiences that he gives to us and he affords us, then that is a game changer. So we can, yeah, we can definitely go and we can enjoy it. We can be grateful for it and we can remember where it comes from. Whenever our hope migrates from God to money, to material things, we can remember that God's plan is that we enjoy things without allowing them to become a false foundation for our lives. You were meant to enjoy wealth, but never to build your life on it. Don't you see? And so we say, praise God from whom all blessings flow. And whenever we do that, whenever we don't terminate and stuff, whenever we turn the things that we have in this life and we enjoy them, we turn into a moment of worship, that sets us up to do what it says in verse 18. Back to 1 Timothy here. Verse 18 says this. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. Again, this is a command. And the command is essentially this. That those who have blessing, those who have wealth in this life, would learn to share. Do you realize that the very first lesson that someone tried to teach you was to share? Remember my girls were little. They'd be playing with their dolls or their Legos and a fight would break out. And what would I do from the living room while I'm watching TV? Share, right? Yell at them, share. Because that's a lesson I wanted them to learn. We, we want kids to share. Yet, isn't it ironic that when it comes to money, most of us don't like to share. We just don't like to share. The reason that God blesses us materially is actually so that we can share. That's why God gives us material things. Not to hoard them to ourselves. But what? To be rich in good deeds. To do good. To be generous. And to be willing to share. Let me tell you what this looks like. My wife and I, our family is friends with another family, the Taylors. And the Taylors are some of the most generous people we've ever met. Unbelievably generous. They're the kind of people that in our community, there was someone who had need, had some bills they, they, they were having trouble keeping up with. These people stepped up and they paid those bills for a season. They're the kind of people that for us, they did this. This was, this was, this was crazy. This has blessed us so much. They, they took my wife and one of my daughters to a concert. They paid for really good seats, tickets, paid for a hotel room because it was in a different city. They just like blessed. We tried. We said, no, no, let us pay for the hotel. No, no, we want to do this. We want to bless you. God has blessed us. We want to bless you. 
The, the husband, Josh, came and visited us here in, in Pittsburgh. He's a pilot. And so he flew into town. And, and when he got here, he said, hey, Craig, I, I want to I give Lisa and the girls something when I show up. Do they like candy? I said, yeah, of course. They, you know, the girls like chocolate. I said, there's actually some really good chocolate on here called Sarah's Candies. And so we went to Giant Eagle together. And he says, well, what kind do they like? I said, well, we all like these chocolate-covered pretzels. They're great, by the way. And so these chocolate-covered pretzels, I said, yeah, we like those. So he grabs those. He's like, what else? I said, well, that's good. He said, no, 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 I want to get more. And so he just starts grabbing all the Sarah's candies. This man rung up a $100 bill at Giant Eagle on candy. It was, it was outrageous. I mean, really, it was like, I can't believe he's doing this. I almost felt uncomfortable. But Josh and his family, they live like this. They say, God has blessed us, and so we've got to bless other people. If we're showing up, we're going to bless you. God has given us so much, we want to share it. This money we have, it's not for us. It's really, it's really for everyone else. That's how they see things. The reason that God blesses us materially is so that we can learn to be willing to share. Do you see it? It's right here in the Word. Now, I want to go to verse 19. The letter continues saying, In this way, they, those who are rich in this world, will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Let me tell you, the secret to a satisfied life, according to this passage, is understanding that eternity is real. Eternity is real. I hope that this passage causes all of us to think beyond our lifetime. Every time we give. I hope that this passage causes all of us to think about how we can have an eternal impact whenever we give and how we use our money can have that kind of investment. You know, think about here in the context of the church, a few weeks back, if you were here, I talked about a man named Tim who through our online services came to know Jesus, surrendered his life to Christ. Your, your giving enables that to happen. It pays for the cameras. It helps us make sure we have a, you know, a way to get on a, a platform online and do all these things so that we can reach people the gospel. Pastor Robbie, just a few weeks back in Gideon, hosted an event on a Wednesday night here at the church. There were eight to 10 students who gave themselves to Jesus, who committed their lives to Christ as middle schoolers. Isn't that powerful? So listen, if your giving lacks an eternal perspective, you're doing it wrong. You're missing the point. When, when you give here, you should expect, first of all, an eternal impact. Every time you give, that's the way we think about it. In fact, we can know this. We can make eternal investments in our temporary lives. Isn't that mind-blowing? We can make eternal investments in our temporary lives. The truth of the matter is this. The vast majority of our existence will not be lived in this life. There is another life, an eternal life, on the other side of this life that's much greater. This is the little piece. The big piece 
is an eternity. And so instead of using all of our chips on the 80 years or so we've got here, why not invest in the bigger chip? That's what Paul's saying here. He's saying, I pray that they'll learn to, to lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, fraternity. In other words, he's saying, listen, when people are generous in this life, there's a carryover into the next life. It's an investment in eternity. When you use your money, your resources, your wealth, and the little bit of life we have here, it has an impact in all the life that we have that's yet to come. That's the kind of investment we can have. You know, there's um, a wall right out here, which, by the way, is all by the food that you brought in. Incredible job. We have so much food we're going to give to the food bank. I love that. It's a sign of your generosity. And there's a, there's a wall. There's some glass panes. You have to look at it sometime. And there are hundreds of names of people who have been a part of Christ Church over the past 25 years listed there. And those people, their names are listed there because they contributed millions of dollars to get this church up and running. Millions of dollars. Lists of names of faithful people. And it's called Building a Legacy. There's a title at the top. It says Building a Legacy. And, and it tells me that we have a history as a people of understanding that we can make an eternal investment in this temporal life. That we can use our wealth, what God's given us. We can be generous. We can give up and above so that we can have a gospel impact that doesn't just stretch 80 years, but stretches on into eternity. The last thing I'll say is this. The very last words, final five words of the passage that we've been reading this morning say this. That they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Paul's instruction, his command is that we would take hold of a life that's real life. You know, the sad truth is that so many of us are investing in a life that isn't really life. It's a lowercase l life, not an uppercase l life. What a waste. Would you use the wealth, the resources, the money, the time, the talent, everything you have as a kingdom investment, knowing that you'll only ever truly be satisfied in God and God alone. That wealth, if you invest in other places, it'll bring back diminishing returns. The one thing that'll truly bring a return a real life is a kingdom investment. May we live that way. May we live as people who, who have renewed minds, understanding that our hope isn't in this life, but in life to come. Let's pray. Oh Lord, thank you for your generosity to us. God, you've made the greatest investment in us through your son Jesus, whose blood was shed, his body was broken. Jesus truly paid it all. And Lord, we do all owe everything to him for the life that he's poured out and given to us. Oh Lord, 
that we would be people who find our satisfaction in you. Oh, Lord, that we would be a people who give of ourselves knowing that money has to have its proper place in our lives, that you and you alone are to be worshiped first and foremost. Lord, may we be a people who learn to share. And God, I pray that we would be a people who have an eternal perspective, even on wealth. And Lord, if there's anyone who's listening, whether online or in person here this morning, who hasn't made the greatest investment of all, the investment that's an eternal one, of giving themselves fully to Jesus. Then I pray, Lord, that that person, if you're listening to my voice right now, that you would know that Jesus indeed did pay it all. That God, of his great generosity, gave everything so that you could have a place in his family. If that's you right now, I encourage you to take a step of faith. Wherever you are, whether you're at home or you're in this room right now, I believe that God's coming near to you. It's as if he's tapping you on the shoulder. He's saying, come, I paid it all. I pray your response would be, yes, God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that he is your son. I believe that he died, shed his blood, his body broken. He paid it all. He made the greatest investment. And I believe, Lord, I can have eternal life through him and him alone. Would you make that investment today in your heart and your mind? Oh, God, I pray that if any of us have migrated our hope to wealth, that we would migrate right back to you and place our hope fully in you. May we be known, Lord, as a people of generosity, a people who have an eternal perspective, Help us with this, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.